Hello, 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 guys. Welcome to this new edition of Mind Podcast. This is Adit Kapadia, and I'm welcoming you on yet another day. Uh, for all those celebrating, wish you a very Merry Christmas. Uh, when you are listening to this podcast, it'll probably be after Christmas, but we are recording um, uh, around the Christmas time, when it's Christmas somewhere in the world, at least. Uh, I won't say where. But uh, together with me on Mind Podcast this week is our returning champion, uh, I, I like to call all of our uh, podcast alumni as returning champion, as as people know. Uh, he's the counselor to the Permanent Mission of India to the WTO, public policy analyst, columnist, and our good friend Ashish Chandorkar. Hello, Ashish. Hi, Adit. Good to be back. Oh, pleasure. It's been what, almost a year, I think, since we last recorded a podcast together. So uh, Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I, I don't know if it was pre-COVID or post-COVID, but care, we have uh, very resourceful listeners who look up when we last recorded and tell me that fake news I So <coughs> I, will, I will tell all our listeners uh, to do that. I, uh, uh, I am, uh, I'm already apologizing for the raspiness in my voice, heavy allergies uh, <laughs> around me, but we'll try to make the most, um, most of it. Um, Ashish, what a fascinating time, right? Like, uh, saal, do saal ho gaya, almost COVID ke baad, right? You've been in this position with the WT for almost four months now. Yeah, and four months. When you went there, there was nothing like Omicron there. You, uh, you, you were going from a place that was that was going through a worst COVID wave to a place where it had less COVID uh, sort of infections, and now the scales have totally reversed. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, also. It's also good to see the difference in which people approach this, right? So uh, here, like Switzerland is currently logging in close to about, let's say, 10,000 cases a day, which scale to India would be, uh, God knows what, 12, 12, 13 uh, lakh cases a day for, for, for us, I mean, for our population. So, which was, which is significantly higher than the reported, the peak reported cases, which I think was on 8th of May, which, which where we had 416k. So three times that figure approximately, or two and a half times that figure. Uh, but there's no here. There's no panic as such right now. Uh, I see. I, I think the hospital situation here also is not very good. Uh, last mm. week, it's improved a bit, but at the peak there were 85 percent of all ICUs and all hospital beds were occupied. And uh, I think the local army is also helping the medical professionals to deal with the situation. But it's quite a, uh, the, I mean, outside you don't feel that uh, people, in fact, I, I still see people without masks, uh, only, only when they are in the public transport where it is mandatory to have masks, you you see them. But I think a lot of people still do not, you know, are not masking up. Yeah, it's, so, yeah. it's, it's the same situation here as well in uh, in America. In, 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 in Texas, it's the same thing. I mean, uh, Texas is still less than the other states right now. New York is the worst. But people are going to football games. People are going to bowl games like, you know, it's no big deal. And it's unfortunate, but it's it's almost people have taken this to be the way of life. Well, I think also the recognition probably that maybe the virus doesn't spread outdoors. Uh, that, that's been the general belief now, right? So... Uh, if you were vaccinated and if you were outdoors, uh, oh. it is probably uh, acceptable to to kind of not have mask up. That's the that's the belief here. But tell uh, me this. But tell me this, Ashish. Uh, do you think that this is the new normal? Like, do you think this is unfortunately this is the way forward? I mean, I I hope not. It's kind of uh, it, 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 as you said. It's almost two years, right? That uh, we we've been through this, and uh, wearing a mask has become second nature to a lot of us uh, i think the, the 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 kids are losing out 
the, the children who are growing up in this generation, they'll have a very difficult time Same. both adjusting to the social, uh, uh, you know, uh, structures, the, the the way they behave uh, with, with others. What they learn, I mean, of course, because the formal education has been also, uh, I mean, it's taken a hit in, in most countries. Hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's a big issue, actually. Uh, I hope not. So I've actually been thinking about this, right? It's very important, the kids aspect of it. Ki you don't want a whole generation growing on thinking that this is, uh, it, it's it's normal for me not to talk to some kid I don't know because, uh, you know, that's how we used to make friends, right? When you are a kid, you like, there were no play dates, so to speak. Up playground, mein jao, ko, kisi bhi ke khelo, the whole concept of society, ke bacche, kisi ek ghar mein khel rahe, right? It, that yeah. just seems like, a bit of like a thing of the past and we don't even know what is the way forward yeah uh, at least uh, i'm not even sure if uh, kids themselves will come go back to it very very quickly uh, it, it, i mean i'm sure that many of them are also impacted psychologically yeah. in terms of accepting uh, other kids around uh, around them at, at least in switzerland the schools are open uh, here uh, there's only one closure of schools uh, at the time, peak, peak of wave 2 which uh, here i mean here that's first wave 2 but uh, otherwise, the schools have been open here. Uh, so, but I, I know that a lot of parents are not sending kids. Yeah. Uh, schools yeah. have made a hybrid type of an arrangement. So, it's a it's an issue which everyone has to grapple with individually as to what they think is best for their uh, families. Absolutely. And then this is the new normal as well in terms of podcasting and broadcasting because we, uh, trust me guys, we did not plan to talk about COVID when we were talking off offline before we started recording. But it's just been like a thing, you know, that's our own catharsis also just knowing how everyone is across the world and, you know, bringing you what we, what our perspective is from where we are located. Please write to us in the comments or tweet to us or write on Facebook that what do you think and what is the situation there and write to us if you want to cover a certain aspect. I I have done a lot of podcasts with doctors from across the world about COVID situations in countries, but would be interesting to know if you want to do one specific to that country and stuff. Ek bar cross-continent podcast and we focused on the psychological aspect because tab to pata nahi tha ki work from home kitna time tak chalega. Now we are starting work, I think, from next month. So let's see. But uh, getting into the meat of the thing, so to speak, uh, Ashish, what we wanted to talk to you about was that uh, now since you've been here for four months, we are just assuming you know everything there is to know about India's permanent mission at WTO. I'm kidding, of course. But but you've written about public policy. You've written about uh, economics and in, in various aspects, right? And you you've in India as 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 is with uh, Joe Biden will probably tell you more than even our Indian uh, thing that he's been trying to get his build back act, uh, uh, build back better act passed or a senator a congressman ki se, it's not being able to pass so yeah. <clears throat> ultimately it's always a between uh, economics and politics right competing and we've seen plenty times that good economics is good politics and stuff but of course it's a battle you have to uh, you have to strike but what i want to talk to you about is in terms of people like you and i who've written about reforms who want you know reforms india to take a new direction under reforms right what are the new sectors where you think that india is focusing right like apart from the usual sectors like agriculture infrastructure do you think in terms of uh, uh innovation in terms of skill in terms of biomedical we're going and when you are in a trade position where there is you are talking to other countries do you see a change in attitude towards india when it comes to these reforms and stuff is going right so uh, two, three aspects here, uh, Adit. So firstly, uh, in terms of reforms, if you see 
uh, when the Atmanirbhar Bharat package was announced in May of last year, hmm. uh, there were a series of announcements which were packaged in that larger 10-15-day uh, window where various press conferences were held by the FM and also by the PM uh, when he addressed the nation. So some of them were reforms which were structural in nature, like labor laws. Uh, labor laws were anyway happening, but it was kind of packaged uh, alongside that uh, initiative. Yeah. Uh, agriculture reforms, which now have been repealed. Uh, there were also sectors which were opened up, like space, for example, which was a new area. Uh, also, uh, there was another point of the production-linked incentives, which were essentially incentives given to make in India. Uh, any company, whether it is an Indian company or a foreign company, can come and establish uh, 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 like like a plant in India. They have to commit to a certain incremental sales volume through that uh, uh, the production facility, and uh, they have to uh, demonstrate that how will they achieve that target, and then a government will refund a percentage of sales back to them as an incentive to set up in India. This was done for 13 sectors. So this was a larger, let's say, context of reforms. There were other things also like de defense. Uh, you know, the defense reforms around private participation, uh, ordinary factory boards to be merged together. There were telecom reforms, which were alluded to, which kind of shaped up later in the later this year. So there was a whole package of reforms which came under the uh, Atmanirbhar Bharat uh, announcement. That was one part. The, the second part was also around how the RBI supported the economy with its monetary measures. Uh, only now, Things are, I mean, uh, RBI is kind of normalizing the policy or at least talking about it. Uh, but RBI has been fairly active in terms of ensuring that the liquidity was not a problem, that the credit reached the parts of uh, economy which needed it the most, like uh, small businesses and so on. Yeah. The second aspect, which was kind of uh, taken up. The third aspect was also very critical is the animal spirits part, right? So PM has been talking about uh, the... The, the the road ahead, the potential for the Indian economy, uh, the 5 trillion target, I mean, maybe there'll be a year to be adjusted there. I don't know, given that we lost two years in, in the process, but uh, the, the the target of a 5 trillion economy, the, the promise of what we can achieve, given that uh, other countries are aging, we have still got a working population, I mean, a population where we are adding working population for at least another 15 years or so, if not 20. Uh, so, and this decade has to be uh, a decade of making a difference in terms of uh, getting more uh, industrialization to India, shifting the core economic patterns in terms of how many people are employed in what kind of sectors. So I think these are. I think I think this 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 part is also. I mean, of, of course, economists talk about the the animal spirits, but I, I believe that having that faith and having the confidence in the future of the country is very critical because that is what also drives people to take risks, right? Absolutely. And this need not be government driven. Some of it we are seeing in the technology sector, for example, right? This was, the high, I think we had the uh, highest ever uh, year, I mean, highest ever addition to unicorns in India, the high, the 36 billion came in uh, as investments in Indian startups. So at least there are parts of the economy where that uh, that that uh, euphoria or that that confidence is visible. But I think it's very critical to take it to a larger segment of the economy, and that's what I think the government has been focused on uh, in the in the in, in the terms of messaging. Absolutely, you know there is one thing, one one very interesting thing what you said about lending, right? Because in India we don't we don't focus on that. The fo the focus I believe earlier in back in the day was on interest rates, 
कि मुझे से कितना मिल रहा है which resulted in an economy where we had issues where you had you were lending at almost 10 12 14% which is not sustainable that has significantly gone down in the last few years right now do you ask do you expect that as we grow or as we start push towards a more job creation a entrepreneurial economy that will sort of go down and there will be you know this is right now everything is controlled by the reserve bank and so forth but there will be a sort of a situation where you know it will be like of course yahan pe bhi in even in us the federal rate of interest is there but in the thinking you know we move beyond that old thinking ki we have to talk about interest rates and we'll start we have to talk more about borrowing rates do you think that transition will happen so i think other in some is that transition has happened already in india i mean if you see uh, at least when i was growing up uh, perhaps yeah. a few years uh, you know before you you grew up but at least in my generation I thank you for confirming my youth ashish that's i don't think we are that far apart but uh, <laughs> for the sake of our podcast matric uh, matric <laughs> will get you everywhere <laughs> <laughs> no absolutely uh-huh. so i think in my generation the i mean people who did not invest in stocks and there were like really very few people who understood that that space but uh, i think interest rates for everything right fd was everything the only way you could save money was by fd so the expectation was that the fd rates has to remain high but i mean of course this is very intuitive that if fd rate is high then your interest rate like what what you what you i mean if you get a higher interest rate you also pay a higher interest rate when you take a loan right so it's kind of a it, it goes together because the the difference between the two is the spread which the bank makes so if they have to pay you more they have to also charge you more to uh, i mean just to simplify things i mean of course there are other issues around administrative rates and so on in india on on different government schemes so uh, i think that that but that focus has shifted in, in in two ways one is of course at the cost of capital at least in some sectors like for example the technology sector uh, or or the new age startups at least there it is reducing simply because those sectors are open to fdi right so the if 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 there's a loose monetary policy in the us it is also going to benefit indian startups because there's a lot of money liquidity sloshing around and it has to find Uh, a, a home somewhere, and in many cases, the home tends to be a, a developing economy like like India. So the fact that the startups or the companies in India are able to raise uh, easy money and at money at scale, I mean, partly I think that has also changed the perception of how you look at the 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 the, the concept of return on investment, right? So that 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 is one one part of it. The other part is even in India, because there has been much more financialization of the economy uh, people are investing like from the times when fd and real estate were the only two i mean gold maybe so there were only three avenues of investment for for most indians now with the greater financialization i mean of course people take interest in all kinds of asset classes right uh, equity markets uh, i mean crypto is a new kind of new age uh, fad Oh, I mean, I don't know if it's a fad. Uh, uh, that's kind of jury out on that. Where I am right now, it's a huge fad. It's a huge fad. I've not yeah, taken no, on it, but yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, in the sense, I, I meant fad. I don't know if it's transitory, right? Like, like the inflation, quote unquote. I mean, uh, we we don't know what's going to happen there, right? So, but yeah, I mean, the point is, people are investing uh, more and more on on the financial assets. So Actually, when people. Yeah. No, no. Uh, carry on. I'll tell you uh, after. I'll give you a complete report. So, so when people invest in financial assets, they also understand the concept that the interest rates are intrinsically linked to. I mean, the whole lending and borrowing cycle are essentially complementary exercises. They understand this concept better. So, I think people uh, have begun to understand that already. Uh, of course, there'll be a 
segment uh, every time interest rates go down i mean of course it hurts the uh, typically the 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 senior citizens who may not have invested and are cannot invest at that stage of their life so it hurts them of course that is one segment which gets uh, impacted and also uh, you know the the uh, admissor rates still have to be maintained uh, in many cases the rates on pf the the mini pf the rates on uh, like sukanya samriddhi yojana i mean those kind, those kind of uh, i mean uh, uh, those kind of schemes or programs will continue so i think that that is under, that is getting it, it's it's a problem in some cases but i mean of course the i think the awareness or the understanding has gone up absolutely no and uh, uh, the reason i was laughing was i was like if we need probably 100000 views we should just title the podcast saying crypto is it a fad and <laughs> <laughs> watch the youtube link go crazy but <clears throat> jokes apart no you are absolutely right maybe maybe it is a transient feature and how much of this is embedded is when i moved to us about 14 years ago uh one of the things the first things we did was uh, bank mein jaake ask the fd rate right because wo indian mentality rehti and they said 1% and i think i i should just have freeze framed the expression on my dad's face like i just <laughs> because you know when you come to visit and i have visited us before you never wonder about this and in 98 or 99 or tab and uh, and you never think ki india mein at that time in 2007 8 india mein the rates were like sky high like 8 9% right and then you you come down here it's like 1% 2% they're like ye kya bakwas hai yaar this is like nothing so it's 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 that's the culture shock we get but talking about policy this is something that's very close to me and you've written a lot about it is infrastructure right and you you monitor infrastructure because in india right now it's taking a very global turn because india may i think where we had a huge chance and sort of covid nipped that chance in the bud sadly where was the aviation sector because uh, uh, india actually was more centrally located than dubai is of course emirates because of emirates popularity everyone flies through dubai rather than thing but one almost thinks that that was a lost opportunity where india could have been this bridge destination between the east and especially if you're traveling from europe to the far east right and now with the privatization of air india or the impending privatization of air india the biggest sort of aviation routes the direct routes from india to the, has opened up right so when you talk about aviation when you talk about aviation that leads to certain infrastructure in india how do you view those sectors yeah so let me talk about the infra in general other than i'll come to aviation right so what's happening on infra is that there was this plan of uh spending 100 lakh crores which was called the national infrastructure pipeline the numbers have changed a little bit and of course the the, the period was 2019 to 2025 but i think that will be adjusted now given that uh again we did not get much work in in the last let's say one, one, one and a half years but the fact is that the capex increasing is a requirement that the government understands very well Uh, it was articulated very clearly in the national infrastructure pipeline that and that pipeline was not just central capex it was also central ministries it was central private sector enterprises state governments and private sector capex right uh, it was also understood that the government will have to do a lot of uh, heavy lifting on the financing of the infra projects because in india typically what happens is i mean any infra project other than I mean, you you have to you will only get returns over a period of time 15 20 25 years right you, you have to put money today but you get your money back over a long period of time so you also have to finance it in a and way that breaks, like it can't be at once it has to be like a transient yes. sort of feature of course and there will be some uncertainties right some risks associated with the project and so on so uh, the 
so so the financing aspect of it again uh, there has been a setup of a uh, what we call the, the dedicated financial institution uh, which will uh, with mr kv kamat is now heading uh, they they expect to start lending perhaps in q1 of next year uh, again uh, he has done like if, if you remember icici was set up as a again as a development finance institution right i mean that was not necessarily only infra but fairly similar concept so this is like a second time that he's doing this uh, in terms of uh, driving the financing for infrastructure that needs patient capital you need to attract pools of capital where people expect fairly low returns but uh, principal preservation and they will be okay to lend you for 15 20 30 years right and typically pension funds or sovereign wealth funds or uh, even investment vehicles uh, otherwise family offices many of them globally can participate in those activities but it has to be structured according to their needs so one is of course defining the ambition the second part is uh, financing that ambition the third part is which and i'll link this to aviation is the execution capability yeah even if you say that i will spend let's say 100 lakh crores over 5 years or which is like 20, you know uh, 20 lakh crores every every year even if you find 20 lakh crores to be financed which is of course also a bit of a task uh, but let's say if you do that uh, between central capex which is 5 6 lakh crores uh, cpscs state who will do the projects right i mean let's say you launch those many projects but do you have enough technology expertise do you have those companies in india which can actually run with a pipeline of 20 lakh crores a year infrastructure projects worth a year i think that's been a, that's a still a bottleneck right and in that uh, that capacity creation is also part of the process it will have to be ramped up as as the nip ramps up and the most patent example of this is the aviation sector hmm. now of yeah. course the, it's it's very clear that india lost out to dubai to the i mean uh, uae in general to the extent that emirates almost became the national carrier of india right? i mean instead of air india you can argue that today emirates is is effectively the national carrier given the number of slots they operate and of course there's a <laughs> history of that yeah absolutely i i didn't want to say that but un, un, unfortunately that's the truth yeah so now so, so one thing was one one reason why dubai gained was that they they had an airport which had that which could ferry the capacity right where hundreds of flights are landing from india and you are kind of shuttling them across the world now in india that's been a huge challenge because uh airports have not been planned ahead of time uh mumbai uh, i mean i i, I when, when i wrote my book Uh, on the Maharashtra politics, I had written about this. That the first study of the Navi Mumbai Airport was done in 1997. Uh, now Navi Mumbai Airport is now just now coming up in the sense that it's it's started to pick up now. So it probably will go live in 2024, 25. I don't know around that time. So what was needed in 97 and what was understood that it is needed then is being built after the country has gone through a humongous uh, cycle of development and growth, right? Yeah. So, so we are catching up 30 years now. Problem is infrastructure works if you make it for the future. You know, when people argue that, oh, you know, why do you need a bullet train? We are just a 2,000 uh, per per capita economy. The point is that you start constructing it at 2,000 per capita. By the time it is completed, that you will, you hopefully will be 3,000, 4,000, right? I mean, when you start using it. 
No, so I, I, I coming from the infrastructure background, I will always argue this that uh, we have a thing called projected projected uh, uh, traffic, projected growth, and so forth. And in on in US, it is like if you are uh, designing today, you have to design it for fifteen years, twenty years, twenty five years, depending on the project needs. But that ensures that the project is completed by seven eight years, which even here we don't see it happening in all projects. The problem in India is a lot of these projects are designed for capacities today or in two years or three years. And they are not completed for 15 years. So I mean, so Mumbai airport actually is an engineering marvel because actually if you notice, because I had to actually study that for my construction management class where Mumbai airport, the airport slots, normally planes are kept at 90 degrees, but they are kept at angles. And Ashish writes about this in his books as well, or how it is an infrastructure achievement. But the thing is, this is, and I think Mumbai airport is the busiest airport in the world operating on one runway, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was handling thousand flights, so that, that yeah. kind of became. Like, it is insane that Mumbai doesn't have two runways. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people shared that news as a as a as an achievement, and it was actually a huge risk that you know. Yes, uh, yes. that's that's what I'm saying. So uh, in India, uh, jugad due to risk is equal to an achievement. Uh, that, unfortunately, that is the. Uh, uh, it's like the whole IPL shifting uh, overseas with uh, three weeks to go. Right, uh, uh, like Harsha Bogle says, in no one does uh, as less of the work leading up to a tournament like Indians do, and no one, no one does as much of the work that's needed in the last three weeks as Indians do. So, AV infrastructure is the same thing. But what scares me, given the amount of me- metro cities that we have, I mean, if you look at the top 10 cities of India uh, Delhi, Mumbai, Chennai, uh, Kolkata, Ahmedabad, Hyderabad, Bangalore, Pune, and right. uh, I'm forgetting the 10th, but I mean, you could have Lucknow probably right now is up. up Surat, Surat maybe. Surat, Surat will be as well. Surat will be, or even Jaipur, if you just look at yeah. tourism, tourism as an industry. But my thing was, how many of them have world-class airports, right? And unfortunately, not many of them do. Like probably six or seven have world-class airports that you can compare to the airports of Europe. Most of them require two airports, like not just yeah. one. With the amount of potential traffic that's about to get be generated, so so this is a great uh, uh, point. Aditi, another issue. So look look at look at London. I mean, I I take that example because I've been there several times. London has got Heathrow, it has got Gatwick, it has got Luton, Stansted, Southend. I think is another one, and, and London City, right? So six airports. Uh, now, of course, London drives. Practically all of UK economy as a, as a largest city, and uh, I think it's got about one sixth of the population as well. But a city like London has got six airports, and there are hence options to connect uh, at different price points. Different types of airlines can operate. Different business models can operate. Uh, in India, a, a city like Surat got flights only now in the last three four years, right? It was yeah. what ninth largest city in the country. There was hardly any uh, aviation activity. Yeah. Pune struggling for a for a proper airport. The only airport which we have is actually uh, is a is a, uh, is a air force airport. So it's actually uh, called the Dohagao Airbase Airport. I think. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, the, uh, in the sense, it's it's operated actually by the Indian Air Force. So uh, there are limitations to what what can happen, uh, both in the current terminal and there's also been an expansion problem. See, people don't understand that airports have to be expanded early on, right? Much before it is needed because you need humongous. Space, uh, space uh, for for doing that, and the, the reason Noida was able to get, I mean, Javer is also, I think, of what I think, 50, 60 kilometers out of Noida. But the, the, but that's the thing. If you don't plan it today, 
you you will only get airports which are 50 60 kilometers out of the city like bangalore saw, saw through that at least bangalore would do that uh, hyderabad bangalore at least they were lucky to have that space outside the city but not each city has that option right mm-hmm. so this is a this is a problem which a lot of like, even the commentators would understand saying why do we need bullet train why do we need airport why do, why do we need a second airport point is i mean La- mumbai is a city as big as london as in bond as london in, in terms of the indian context uh, you know, you, you 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 should have got a second airport 20 years ago. Delhi, it's, it's getting now, and Delhi also has got a pretty big uh, airport already. So uh, it's good that they will have uh, at least 10 runways, maybe perhaps when both the airports are fully operational uh, in that vicinity. But I think that's the kind of planning which which we missed typically. And I really yeah. hope that some of the smaller cities, uh, the the dear two cities, like starting. For Ahmedabad, which is I think the fifth biggest city or the sixth biggest city in uh, India, there is not there is only one flight that connects Ahmedabad and Europe, and you know that so much of the diamond trade happens with Belgium, which is dominated by Gujaratis. So they yeah. had to actually fly to Mumbai and then go to Antwerp or something. I don't understand why you couldn't have a direct flight from Mumbai also and Ahmedabad also because there is enough volume. And I mean, I'm just giving one example, right? Like there there should be probably direct flights from Gujarat to uh, US given the amount of expat population that uh, Gujaratis uh, that exist. And it, it needn't be Air India. It could be an American airline or something like that. So it's, it's just unbelievable. Like every US city, in my opinion, Houston, Dallas, Chicago, New York should have one or two direct flights to India, only four or five of them do right now, right. and which is which is a tale of missed opportunities. Because because if you look at it, and uh, you said lightly, the amount of time it takes to fly from US to India is the same it takes from, to fly from US to Dubai, but yeah. people opt for Emirates, and it's just ridiculous if you think about it. But here, hopefully, uh, we like my joke always goes uh, in somehow India Inc. Uh, puts a lot of a uh, lot of burden on Ratan Tata's shoulders, and aviation is no different right now. Uh, <coughs> everyone seems to be. But but moving from aviation, oh, sorry, sorry, fin- finish up your point, and then I'll move. To- the good news there is that the Air India privatization. I think uh, I mean we've been following b- both politics and policy other for several years. Uh, Air India has been top of the. I mean, if you if you see when when this government took over in 2014, if you read the op-eds etc., most economic type commentators would have said that for them privatization of Air India is a number one priority, right? Because that would be a signaling mechanism of how the government is operating. It's actually a little ironic and a little sad that the government did not get enough credit for getting it done finally. I mean, you know, it took a bit of a time. There were of course several issues to resolve. It had to structure uh, the 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 whole uh, deal in a way that the cash versus debt burden had to be kind of uh, you know and adjusted. At the risk of sounding very uh, terrible, I'm saying that the it also operated like a uh, the whole employees union operated like an outpost of like some trade union congress. So you have to yeah, I mean, of course, I mean there was there were all kinds of oppositions, right? And the, the fact that the government could actually get it done uh, in 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 this scenario, uh, I think it's a phenomenal achievement. And privatization uh, is certainly one of the themes which seems to be running right now because another company called Central Electronics got privatized after that. Several others financial bids have been received in the last uh, you know last few weeks. So let's hope that that part continues. Absolutely, absolutely. But moving from aviation to another public policy sector that doesn't get enough discussion is uh, shipping, right? And India has improved a lot uh, on that. So the reason I bring it in the World Trade Organization context is that India had sort of emerged as this sort of a mid, 
mid midpoint of the world when it come came to also hosting all these things, right? In terms of Asia, with its connect in Central Asia, Southeast Asia, do you see that changing? Do you see that po- positively impacting India's chances? So, I think there again, it's a partly the the same story, which is that you need ports with, uh, I mean, deep water ports with capacity, which can be used. Right. Uh, physical capacity and connectivity, which can be used as transshipment ports. Uh, there are, like, for example, Colombo or even Singapore, a lot of these ports. No, not are... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, of course, let's not, let's not get, go there. But, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, there, there are transshipment ports already in, in the in the vicinity, right? And uh, what these ports do is they, they get larger ships. And then yeah. the, it's like a uh, multiplexing, demultiplexing concept right in engineering, where you basically uh, aggregate and then disaggregate in, in those in those locations. So I think it's it's, it's I mean it's a it will take some work because at least in aviation, the thing is India itself has got enough capacity. So for example, if you really had an airport like Dubai, India itself had capacity to uh, to, to generate passenger traffic for shipping. Uh, India is of course now. The, the trade participation is increasing, but we are certainly not top uh, top few countries on the trade uh, in, 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 in the in the in the trade metrics, right? So I think it will take much more effort via the aviation to make a successful transshipment port. I think that location-wise, also very few options may be available right now, and uh, capacity-wise also. So uh, I'm not sure if that would be like the one of the key themes. Uh, what is more important for us is to make our own ports much more. Uh, professional, uh, capable of handling specific type of cargo. Uh, it, it helps to have ports which specialize in certain types of commodities because then uh, the understanding is much better of how do you handle that, what are the turnaround times needed, what are the processes and procedures required. So I think some of that internal focus itself may actually help us tremendously rather than trying to create uh, several trans- transshipment ports just, even, even though we have a long coastline. Mm-hmm. So for and 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 then that's the thing. I pardon all the digressions we are taking, but uh, as you know, the format of the podcast is digressions. So we started with the economy, and we've gone to ships and ports and roads and uh, whatnot. But but ultimately, that's the thing, right? To manage with a country like India, the question funding becomes a huge challenge because, especially with the economy being. Uh, taken as much of a hit that it has in the last two years because of COVID, right? How do how does one move forward? So how do you view, Ashish, like the economic path to recovery for India, right? Like in terms of uh, how do you view uh, that changing? Ultimately, we'll have to get back to normalcy. Actually, as we record, uh, a few hours ago, the Prime Minister announced uh, jabs for uh, younger uh, folks, 15 to 18, and uh, booster shots as well. So once that happens, and I think more boosters are going to come for uh, uh, older people, like, you know, older people and folks like you and I as well. And now that is will be used as a vehicle to drive that, okay, let's get back to normal. Right. We cannot just completely obtain, uh, operate in xylos, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, time goes, runs out. So what do you think? What will drive the economic growth forward for India? So the first, I think the first uh, recognition, other what needs to happen for that is to understand that you have to live with COVID, right? Uh, every few months, it seems that there will be a wave, at least that's how it, it appears right now. No one is clear whether it is a one year, two year, five year thing, right? Uh, 
there's no medical kind of certainty on that aspect of the disease hmm. so uh, hoping that the the infection becomes much milder uh, and and that it doesn't occupy as much hospital space as it has in the second wave in india i think that is a first recognition even psychologically uh, i see a lot of especially in the media there's a lot of fear mongering if, if you see how things are like you described how it is in us right people are going out having uh, you know watching watching football games and like in us each stadium could be a what 30 40 50000 people i don't know there are some stadiums where had more than 100000 people 100000 people yeah so, so i mean large crowd, crowds are gathering and they are they are uh, behaving normally uh, despite the fact that us has been in a much worse situation than than india at least in the last 3 4 months right in terms of the numbers and yeah, yeah. And, and right now us is recording 300000 cases and yeah. movies are going houseful in christmas spider man people are going to watch spider man left right and center yeah. so it's yeah so i mean of course as long as people take precautions whatever they can i mean all said and done no one really understands how or when can one get infected right i mean it's 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 a it's a it's a bit of a black box for any any individual so while concern is fine how do you how do you kind of uh, move from being concerned and then channelize it to take whatever precaution it is possible to take for for an yeah. individual and then essentially continue with your life i think once once that recognition comes in Uh, at least I see that in Europe, they put a New York Times article also actually yesterday on this about how Europe has just accepted that it is going to be there. So, yeah. so you just live with it and 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 don't panic. But actually, I see that uh, and, and having lived here now for for four months, uh, in in a in the peak of a wave. I mean, this is actually the worst period at which which we, I mean, Germany, Austria, Switzerland, Netherlands, several countries have had peaks after I came here. Uh, I I find the frenzy in India significantly higher than any other. a local context right in yeah. terms of how how, how people com- uh, comment on 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 the situation on the evolving situation uh, i mean of course partly it is also driven by the fact that we had a, a fairly bad delta wave but th- that is also the case as i said even even here that it's the case where the hospitals are almost full there are problems people are going under yeah, tell me something right uh, and this I, i'm going to sound very uh, controversial here but it's it's a debate i'm i'm not saying one side or the other the whole ipl debate happened that during delta wave the ipl was cancelled and you know it was moved to dubai and you know sure enough they made the decision in us the nfl or the nba wasn't cancelled the mlb wasn't cancelled nor were there debates i'm not saying one is better than the other but i'm saying that in us the wave was deadlier than in india and and the question you have to ask yourself is in future if we do see a spike when the ipl takes place in april it is not sustainable for the indian economy to keep ending tournaments either you don't have them or you have them and you stick through with it or have them in a more calculated don't do this crazy thing ki ab 6 ground pe alag alag pe jao you create three bubbles and keep the teams there don't do this ki mai har ek cricket association ye ye problem ye hai ki bcci also wants ki sabko thoda thoda shagufa de do you know right <laughs> so that is the debate that india needs to have with itself yeah i mean every entity every economic entity has to, has to decide what is the most optimum way there's also an issue on the uh, city authorities getting far too aggressive on restrictions uh all doing things which could be only a signaling mechanism but unable to enforce them those those restrictions right so i think there's some lessons to be learned on on that also as to keeping doing only those things which you can actually uh enable or enforce 
rather than essentially announcing a lot of measures but then unable to really uh, see yeah. them through so the ultimate solution is vaccination oh, sorry sorry you were complete you were saying something no no so i, I, I was saying the same thing that ultimately i mean india's vaccination is not too bad i mean we uh, we we are, we are about, about 83 crore uh, single dose which is actually quite phenomenal if you if you see uh, globally the number of the, the percentage of population eligible and those who have actually taken vaccines it has been stagnating at 65 70 75% for most countries uh, in india it's already up to about 84 crores and out of 95 which was the adult population and now of course with 15 to 18 i don't know how many crores will get added perhaps 6 7 crores i need to check that number but the fact is that uh, the acceptance of vaccines has in india is far higher compared to any other country the fully vaccinated numbers and i'm quoting yesterday's numbers right so they will add ever uh, 80 83.4 or almost 83.5 crores single dose and 57 crores 56.99 crores of 57 ek insect hai fully so that's about 41% fully vaccinated and that's 41% of the total population yeah. if you look at the eligible the eligible is almost 60 65 probably yeah yeah exactly so i think overall we've done quite well on vaccination especially uh, after the fairly bad delta wave so i think these factors have to come together and as a society we need to basically deal with it that yes yeah. there will be a problem and uh, stop stop looking for your mayor or your state government or your you know the central government for every small problem basically uh-huh. beyond the और कुछ अप टू सर्टेन वी ऑट अ सर्टेन पॉइंट हो भी क्या सकता है सो लॉट ऑफ पीपल आई सो अवर वाइनिंग कि टूरिज्म वापस शुरू हो गया आई वाज लाइक भाई देयर आर सिटीज एंड स्टेट्स इन इंडिया दैट जस्ट डिपेंड ऑन टूरिज्म यू कैन नॉट एक्जेक्टली सो द द पॉइंट इज दैट द पीपल हु कैन अफोर्ड टू स्टे होम आर ऑलवेज आई मीन दे कैन ऑलवेज कमेंट दैट समवन शुड नॉट गो आउट एंड वर्क और समवन शुड नॉट इंडल्ज इन एक्स और वाई एक्टिविटी द प्रॉब्लम इज दैट नॉट एवरीवन इज लाइक यू आई मीन ई जॉब हैज गॉट इट्स ओन प्रोफाइल there yeah. are specific requirements of a job if you're working in a manufacturing industry you cannot uh uh you know uh, work from home and you have to work on on the shop floor so yeah. and, and not just that uh, if for people who cannot afford to live in a bigger home with space right koi agar do bedroom ke chote flat mein reh raha hai mumbai mein is making enough money that he can afford a trip somewhere yaar give him a week he wants to go out of that you know him or her a week to the and i mean i'm apna khud ka example dunga if I, if i'm fully healthy fully vaccinated boosted i love going to a bar and having a beer i absolutely love it so yeah. uh, 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 why not if it's safe to go you know go go out because for mental health also it's not healthy for you to keep the reason why you enjoy being home is because you have been out so now you are enjoying being home agar aapki yahi life hai for the next 4 years i mean that's going to be terrible yeah i think so if the psychological part and the acceptance part is sorted out then of course the the macroeconomic factors have been quite favorable uh, last yeah. last few months and all the short term indicators have been quite positive so things are falling in place but uh, they can't be too many disruptions if you have frequent disruptions and especially in large economies in large states southern states and western states which are the engines of uh, manufacturing activity primarily industrial activity that would uh, pose another ch- challenge but i mean let's hope for the best let's hope for the best absolutely so as we get into the closure of the podcast of the last part of the podcast i the one last question or the last couple of questions i had for you ashish was 
that as as you are now you you are now in a position that we have been sort of for the last few years getting a, a, a sort of a 10000 feet or 10000 miles away view of india right and it's it's a very different situation you were in the thick of action and stuff like that so how different has it been has it been have you yourself felt that you've looked at aspects of india that you weren't looking at before when you were in the thick of things i'm not saying one is better than the other or something it's just two different things so there's no nothing that can change the experience of doing something from the inside in a system right uh, from outside you can give any number of suggestions or any ideas etc but when you're inside the system you know so much more about what the opportunities are what the constraints are what is already happening uh, one thing which i realize is that a lot of things happen in the government right just that it's not tweeted out all the time so so when a lot of people say that you know oh, you know xyz is not uh, not 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 being focused on it's just a lack of knowledge i mean it's not just xyz but it could also like all a to z is being focused on but or or being undertaken or or being thought about at different stages of evolution but of course not all all of what is public right so in, in terms of what is uh, what is the thought process yeah. i think governments do have this inherent limitation that you cannot always uh, you know open all your cards publicly in terms of yeah, sure. going on and it shouldn't of course but it, it it also adds the uh, and and especially in today's world of uh, you know, hot takes and uh, low low uh, attention spans people also forget or people people make sort of suggestions but uh, they don't follow it up sometimes they don't understand that that has been taken that has happened after 2 3 months they don't go back and understand that that has been ticked off to the mistake yeah exactly so i think there's a there's a i think that that aspect i think quite fascinating for me to discover that a lot of things uh, which uh which which people demand for 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 good reasons a lot of them are being thought about uh, they could be at different stages of implementation i have also seen that uh, i mean i i keep giving this example other but i i i think most people uh, who write about policy etc see there are typically three types of people in any ecosystem right so there's one set of people who will talk about problems who are very good at identifying what the problem is right so they can really articulate this very well they can tell you why something is not working Mm-hmm. then there's one set of people who write about solutions so so mm-hmm. they are focused on okay fine they, they are not they are, they acknowledge there is a problem but their focus is to essentially resolve that or at least understand what the resolution could be mm-hmm. and there is a third type of people which is essentially implemented implementers right so implementers are, are given a blueprint and they will take it forward from there and say okay fine you know i'm i'm neither invested in the problem nor invested in the solution but i tell you kya ho sakta hai ha huh, exactly what can you practically done right how do you go from point a to point b not being invested intellectually in either a or b i mean yeah. essentially i am yeah. saying that okay i have to i have to get this done yeah so i think as even even when when i am writing or when i was writing uh, about some of these things typically a lot of focus on the problems it's because it comes to you naturally you can observe around you and you can say oh yeah you know this is not working this is wrong why can't this happen why can't that happen but the system has to necessarily i mean of course I'm not, I'm not saying not, i think all three roles are very critical uh, because you need people of all types uh, even in the inside the system not just outside but inside the system you do have those three roles typically i mean you will find people who who by by their nature or by their expertise do one or the other yeah but you right outside i think a far more let's say there's a far more lopsided view there people write more about problems and less about solutions and almost nothing about implementation because they're not really experts in the process you can also argue that it's not their job to do that which is also fine uh, but 
I think this distinction was very important when I when I see from inside because uh, you realize that I I think in, in the system you have to acknowledge that yes I mean there's no point fretting about a problem you know that exists right you need to start finding ways to deal with it and how do you chip at the margins do you do something more radically to solve it completely can you do that is can it be implemented at all you may have a wonderful idea which even understands is a wonderful idea. But it is not being yeah. done for a reason. It's not that there's a lack of intellectual, uh, uh, you know, I mean, there's no intellectual deficit there. It's just that it can't be done for X, Y, Z reasons. Those things are very yeah. important to understand. On a lighter note, outside the system, everyone is a variation of peace ideas, depending on which <laughs> ideology you belong to. I'm just joking, of course. That's not the truth. This is a very Manu Joseph line to write, actually. <laughs> no, but that's true, actually, right? I, like, let's give an example of the airport, right? For someone from outside the system will say, airport Someone from inside the system is like, The third person who has to implement is like, but I land is like if if I start acquiring the land and someone says, oh, you know, you cannot do this, you cannot do that, you cannot do this. There are so many aspects, right? And uh, <clears throat> Ashish can probably write a book just on how to acquire land in uh, in India alone. So uh, so maybe that's the second book. Like maybe this is a very fascinating. So he's actually written a fa- fascinating book uh, from the inside of Maharashtra called the Fundamental Years on the Maharashtra uh, functionally. Do read that book. Do write to him what you think about that book. Uh, that's going to be my first plug. And then maybe force Ashish to write a second book uh, uh, about what it means, maybe um, identifying the solutions and the problems both that plague you. So, uh, you know, that's very much on my mind. Uh, and I, I do realize that, uh, you know, I will take a lot of perspective from, from my stint. So, yeah. of course, writing a book is a difficult task as I realize in the, in the first attempt. So, I have to... If, if I, I was a speaker, I, I, I would... I, I, Breaking news, full screen Karosko. Breaking news, he's writing it is announcing it live on the podcast. Uh, but here, uh, unfortunately, we are far too subtle for our own liking. <laughs> but uh, but before we end the show, uh, Ashish, any recommendations for our audience? This has been a fantastic discussion. Yeah, yeah. so, um, I mean, actually, I will give two recommendations because we've been talking about, you know, one book that I've been reading and one... Uh, uh, one I completed uh, like like some time back. So there is one book which I which I finished last week was uh, by an American columnist Walter Russell Mead. He's a regular columnist in WSGS. I'm pretty sure that you you track him. But I think his book on uh, the American foreign policy, it's titled Special Providence: uh, How American Policy Changed the World, uh, is is quite fascinating. It gives a lot of perspective on how the world today is the way it is and and the reason. How West has influenced different cultures, different governments, different societies. Of course, it's a very American lens. You may not agree with a lot of the slant which he has taken. And he has, it's a fairly broad brush book. It's not a book which talks about nitty gritties. It's a, it's a fairly, so there could be a lot of holes also in it. Which by the way, not an analyst's book. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think it's a good narrative book. It, it, it tells you about how uh, US has influenced the world and how, you know, why we are where we are in, in several countries. So, so that is one. The other one which I uh, uh, also finished recently was uh, a book by Akhilesh Tilotia. Uh, it's called Through the Looking Glass. So for those who are interested in the government, Akhilesh is actually, uh, like me, he did a stint in the government. He was working with Mr. Jayansena when he was the uh, Minister of State for Civil Aviation. He was the officer on special duty or OSD. 
to Mr. Sana. He was uh, he was he's a banker. He he worked in uh, he's been uh, in the investment banking industry, and he now works with the NIS National Infrastructure Investment Fund. So, uh, but very fascinating book for he has he has documented his experience about how an external person who's very uh, enthusiastic about changing things, about making a difference. Uh, what happens when the person goes in the government and uh, then sees the realities of how you know implementation part becomes much more critical, right? So it's it's called uh, through the looking glass. It released just this year. Uh, in fact, Akhilesh completed his stint, I think, it was last year, I believe. So he uh, or well, actually, I don't remember that that part very clearly. But he, the book came out this year. Uh, but so so it's been a fairly fascinating read. Uh, the, very insightful for me at least, and someone who's uh, if, if you want to know more about how government functions from inside, uh, Akhilesh has already done that before before I could. So uh, I, I would recommend reading that. Fascinating, fascinating. My, my my recommendations are going to be on completely two two. He's given two great books, and I as I recommended read read Ashish's book as well. Uh, it's going to be a show that I just watched called Decoupled, uh, written by Manu Gosef. Uh, it's like all Manu's work, very polarizing. One side will, part of you is going to love the show, part of you is going to hate the show, but watch it. Uh, it he takes a lot of bold positions and the reviewers have hated it because he takes a lot of pot shots at him, at them. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating show. And then there is another recommendation I have on pop culture is, uh, there is a movie I watched called Atrangi Day and the movie, whatever you do, think about it, listen to it for Rahman's music because the old Rahman is back. Uh, so uh, it's you know the touch of folk, and then there's a third book that I I just came across. Uh, uh, I just finished reading it. I think Chayank had recommended this uh, 16 Stormy Days by uh, Tripurdaman Singh about uh, uh, what happened during the the 1947 part. And I think Tripurdaman has come up with a new book as well. I, I forget uh, the name of that book, but I, I'm I'm going through that uh, that 16 Stormy Days, and it's a terrific book, and I'm looking forward to reading a second book because. A lot of uh, stuff what is known during 1947 uh, is like it's not discussed much. Like for uh, uh, like for us, we always focus like on things that happened pre 1947 and post 1950. But between 1947 and I don't mean August, between January 1947 to December 19 or to January 1950 is a fascinating three years of what we should be discussing. Uh, India saw a lot and, uh, you know, maybe write to us what you think about it. But uh, thank you for joining us, Ashish. This was great. Uh, you've been very generous with your time and we look forward to doing this. Maybe not uh, once a year, maybe sooner than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. We're happy to come back and, uh, you know, great conversation as always. Absolutely. Uh, guys, like, share, subscribe. You know the drill. Comment. Uh, uh, please follow Ashish on Twitter and please write uh, to us in a comment what you thought about it. Until then, it's goodbye and we'll see you next week, maybe in the other side of the new year. Till then, take care, everyone.